1: It's always exciting to catch a band on the verge of making it big. And Nashville's Bully is no exception. I'm Jim DiRogatis.
0: And I'm Greg Cott. Bully joins us for a conversation and live performance. Then we'll review the new albums from Rising R&B star, The Weeknd, and indie veterans Yola Tango. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions. This is Sound Opinions, and Jim, later on we're going to talk about this new Weeknd album. And I remember earlier in the summer we were talking about what is the song of the summer. There wasn't one readily apparent at that time. This we, would have we, been we were like scratching June, our heads, July. Yeah. But I think by the, a few months later, here we have Can't Feel My Face as the song that dominated the summer of 2015. And now we've got the new Weekend album to review later in the show.
1: That's later on,
0: but first we have some music news.
2: The sun
1: Greg, that is a tune called The Floyd Song, in parentheses, Sunrise, by two artists uh, I wouldn't ever have put together, but it happened. Miley (laughs) Cyrus and the Flaming Lips. Young Miley was prancing around the MTV Video Music Awards. Two things happened there. Kanye said he's running for president. We're just going to leave that one. And Miley said she has made an album with the Flaming Lips. She's been hanging around with Wayne Coyne and Oklahoma City's finest psychedelic rockers for a while now, but it's resulted in an album recorded on the cheap, 50 grand, in the Lips basement and other places uh, when both of them were touring, and now released for free, called Miley Cyrus and Her Dead Pets. P-E-T-Z. All right. There's three pets involved. Miley's beloved dog Floyd. Rest in peace. A blowfish named Pablo and her friend's cat Twinkle. She was, you know, Wayne Coyne (laughs) once wrote a song. Do you realize finding catharsis after the death of his father? Miley is doing the same after the deaths of these beloved pets. As the official Flaming Lips biographer correspondent here, I got to say this is, a, you know, this is a throwaway, sensationalistic novelty as music. Why did it even happen? Miley says, "Quote: Wayne Coyne is everything in the world. You can't even define us. I'm a hundred percent in love with Wayne, and Wayne is in love with me. But it's nothing sexual. That would be the grossest. <laughs> I will say, Coyne is fifty-four, Miley's twenty-two. Both of them, I think." work very hard to portray themselves as outside the norm. Freaks! Mm-hmm. True alternative thinkers. I don't know. Listen to the album if you're curious. It's free. And tell me how alternative you think it is.
3: Punk to funk.
2: Punk to funk. Fun.
0: That is Fatboy Slim with a track called Punk to Funk that uh, samples from the EMI Production Music Division. Yes, the world's biggest music publisher has announced an amnesty on using samples from its library, a first for the industry. This huge music publisher, Sony ATV, says as of September 1, any artist who has used a sample from the company's EMI Production Music Division, like Fatboy Slim, Mm -hmm. can go in there and say, you know, hey, I use this. I'm going to get clearance to be able to use this sample, and going forward, you know, as as the song continues in perpetuity, let's say that I didn't pay for it, I didn't announce this sample, uh, I will pay a fair rate to EMI. Is uh, this like confession?
1: Do they have to say Hail Mary before they're
0: forgiven? Y- yeah, there's a confessional aspect to it, for sure. When we're talking about this EMI production music division, what are we talking about? The the library music arm that controls both the composition rights and the sound recordings to a huge number of tunes that have been sampled by artists like Fatboy, Slim, Jay-Z, Gorillas, Jurassic Five. You know, what's interesting about this, Jim, is I think it marks a first tentative step towards the music industry acknowledging that, yes, a lot of music has been sampled, you know, millions and millions of times, especially during the digital era, and we're finally... Creating an environment where artists can talk to labels, and labels can talk to artists, and publishers can get involved in in a non-hostile environment. In the yeah. past, it used to be we're going to sue them, we're going to crush them, we're going to put them out of business. Now Pure they're basically adversarial, saying, yeah. yes, the adversarial relationship is changing to one where they're saying, hey, there's going to be this amnesty. Let's find a way forward to push out of this. Well, it's a it's very like, small it, percentage it, of the music industry, but it's a first step in the right direction.
1: The, the art has truly suffered. When we interviewed the Beastie Boys, they told us point blank, we could not make. Paul's Boutique today, and that's a shame.
0: Mother, do you think they'll drop the bomb?
3: Mother, do you think they'll like this song?
1: Greg, we always enjoy these rock auction stories where people have a chance to bid on a piece of rock history. There is a group in England called Air Artists who for three decades have been making some of the giant oversized stadium props for some of the biggest acts in rock and roll. Uh, And they are auctioning off some of these balloons and inflatables and models. There's a giant Freddie Mercury and Brian May of Queen. There are some uh, Babylonian courtesans that the Rolling Stones had for the Bridges to Babylon tour. Giant fiberglass model train that ACDC used uh, for runaway train. But, of course, you know, the king of giant stadium props, giant balloons, have always been Pink Floyd. And there are a bunch of Pink Floyd inflatables that were used in the original wall tour and then in later tours where Roger Waters performed that solo. This isn't quite an auction, but in Sagerties, New York, you know, it's not far from Woodstock, uh, not far from a town where my folks used to have a place, so I'd go up there a lot in the town of Catskill. There's a famous house where Bob Dylan and the band legendarily recorded music from Big Pink, you mm-hmm. know, a record you love. You know, so, you know, I'm a Dylan fan too, and I had been to this house, and, I, you know, everybody goes, right? You know, the, the, the curb in <laughs> front of this house is well worn from people pulling up, but it's a really unremarkable suburban house.
0: Is it still pink?
1: It's, it's, it's pink-ish. It's kind of yeah. faded. <laughs> you know, it looks it looks like a really kind of ramshackle, fallen yeah. apart, middle-class house in the New York mountains. You know, the couple that owns it now has, has uh, they bought it in 1998. They're the third owners of the house. They love the land, mainly, they said. But, quote, the best rehearsal and jamming space in the world was, you know, of course, a notable bonus. They are now going to be... Renting for six hundred and fifty dollars a night to Dylan fans, presumably this house, because it sure isn't. You know, I mean, we're talking like below the level of a of a Airbnb kind of place. <laughs> but for six hundred fifty dollars a night, you can you know stay where Dylan and the band recorded Big Pink. There's more, right? I mean, you know, today's my birthday. If you want to well, get uh, one of these things for me,
0: I don't know if you're excited about this, but as a as a very bad piano player myself, I'm excited about this next auction item: the piano on which. ABBA recorded Dancing Queen. Mm. is going up for auction. 1.1 million bucks, Jim. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's a heck of a piano. 52 (laughs) keys, what does that work out (laughs) to? And, 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 you know, very exciting, right? A a great source of inspiration, according to uh, Benny Anderson. It was from that studio in Stockholm where they recorded the song in the mid-70s. But I thought the really cool thing about this piano was that it was originally built for Bill Evans, one of the greatest jazz pianists yeah. of all time in, in, in the 60s. So here it survived, and ABBA played on it. Now you can get it for a mere $1.1 $1. 1 bucks. And one other item of interest, Jim, uh, the Beatles' first recording contract is now being sold. This is the contract. They were signed by this German producer, basically as the backing band for Tony Sheridan. Remember yeah. that guy back in Hamburg, Germany days when the, the Beatles days. were a bar band? And they made about eighty bucks from recording a song <laughs> called "My Bonnie." That was their one yeah. single off of this recording which contract, which is truly awful. Beatles
1: fans never talk about the bad Beatles, but that is really bad Beatles.
0: Well, you know, and, and eighty bucks, right? And now that contract for which they made basically a pittance is now being sold for hundred fifty thousand dollars. Hundred
1: fifty grand for the piece of paper. Yeah, exactly, they made eighty bucks for the music.
0: You're listening to Sound Opinions, and that's a little bit of Milkman by our guest this week, Bully, a band out of Nashville, fronted by Minnesota native Alicia Bognano. Bognano is an accomplished singer, songwriter, and guitarist, as well as an audio engineer, and she even had a stint as an intern at Steve Albini's renowned electrical audio studios here in Chicago. Bognano founded the group in 2013 with drummer Stuart Copeland, no, that's not the guy from The Police, bass player Reese Lazarus and guitarist Clayton Parker. Shortly after their formation, they signed with Columbia's label, Star Time International, making them label mates with acts like Foster the People and Peter Bjorn and John. The self-titled EP came out in the fall of 2014, and they followed it up in June with their full-length debut album, Feels Like. You know, I first saw Bully
1: at South by Southwest in Austin in March, Greg, and I was blown away both by the power of the sound and the emotions in the lyrics. I was really happy to have the opportunity to chat with Bully when they stopped by the Sound Opinion Studio for a conversation and a live performance. You, unfortunately, weren't able to be here that day. But I started off by asking Alicia Bognano how she first got into songwriting and audio engineering, I wondered how young she was when she started to write her first tunes.
4: So I didn't play musical instruments, but I jotted little melodies down since I was like seven.
1: What were those songs like? Just really I want more terrible, jello. embarrassing. <laughs>
4: yeah. And well, I had this friend when I was like 10 named Nicole. And she had a really good voice, and so I would kind of write something down, and then she'd sing it, and I'd be like, oh, that's pretty good, and then I'd change it a little bit, and then I'd have her sing it again.
1: <laughs> what What were you listening to at that point?
4: Oh, gosh, uh, Ace of Bass.
1: I think one of the things that's fascinating about your story is you then became an audio engineer. Rare indeed is the young woman who works in a recording studio as an engineer or producer, much less live sound. You've Mm -hmm. done both. Mm -hmm. So how did you become interested in that and feel welcome in that world?
4: I think because I didn't really come from a musical background. Like, no one in my family played instruments or anything. And when I was first introduced to audio engineering in late high school, I kind of thought, well, A, I was interested in it, and B, this could get me closer to being able to make music for myself because I wasn't able to do that. So that pulled me in, and I just started on um, making like really dumb loops on logic and stuff, and then I would sing over them and tweak them, and, and then it was time to go to college, and I wasn't really interested in going, but my teacher had found a four-year Audio engineering degree at MTSU, mm-hmm. and it's not that expensive either as far as colleges go. Well, let's uh, <laughs>
1: let's give people an idea of what it sounds like when you put your training to work. What are you going to play for us?
4: We're going to play Brain Freeze. Mm-hmm.
1: Sound Opinions with Brain Freeze. Alicia, you're originally from Minnesota, but you uh, wound up in Nashville. How'd that come about?
4: Murfreesboro, the school with a four-year bachelor's of science degree in audio engineering, is about 30 minutes outside of Nashville. So I went to school there, and then when I was almost done, I think I had like a semester left, did an internship in Chicago, and I was going to come back to finish my last semester, but I actually started running sound at the Stone Fox and then entering at another studio in Nashville called Battle Tapes. Mm-hmm. So I just thought it would be easier for me to live in Nashville and commute to Murfreesboro to finish
1: school. When I first read Stuart Copeland plays drums for Bully, like every other rock critic, I thought he's having a laugh at the expense of all the rock critics who are going to write that Stuart Copeland is the drummer in Bully. It is not the drummer for the police. Instead, it was like a nasty curse your dad laid upon your head.
0: Yeah, yeah it's nasty depending on your feelings about Stuart Copeland. But yeah, my dad name you after him. He's a drummer, and it's been haunting me ever since. It makes trips to Guitar Center really painful and (laughs) awkward. They have to pull out every goon out of the back to come out.
1: When you guys first started out, did you have a particular sound in mind?
4: I didn't, but only because, like, theory wise, I'm not a skilled guitar player. It just kind of, this is going to sound so corny, but, like, writes itself only because I can't, like, I don't have that knowledge in my head to be like, this is the chords I need for a country song or this is what I need for a rock song or whatever. So it just, it wasn't like a goal of mine to have bully sounds like it sounds like. It just kind of happened.
0: After a quick break, we'll get back to Jim's interview with Bully. Then later, we'll have reviews of the latest from The Weeknd and Yola Tango. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions on WBEZ Chicago and PRX. Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott here with Jim Dirigatis, and that's Hole with the song Doll Parts from 1994. Hole is just one of the bands from the 90s Alternative Explosion that gets cited by critics in describing the sound of Bully, a young band out of Nashville led by singer songwriter Alicia Bognano. I was unfortunately unable to join, but Jim, you had a chance to speak with Bully recently when they stopped by our studio.
1: Yeah, I did, Greg, and I wanted to know if the band actually saw itself as part of this wave of 90s nostalgia we've mentioned of late. I asked Alicia if she thought comparisons to bands like Nirvana and The Pixies were on point.
4: When we started and we would get compared to all those bands, I started listening to them all the time, and I was like, those bands are great, like, I'm fine with that, and I guess I would rather take that term than, like, garage rock or something we're not. It's hard to say we're not grunge because I don't know what to say we are.
1: Yeah, people need some kind of a hand.
4: Yeah, and Mm -hmm. as long as
1: you don't get stereotyped with it, right? Well, let's hear another tune, and people can decide uh, for themselves if it's '90s or not. You're going to play "Trying," right? I like this song a lot. The lyric here just really knocks me out. I question everything: my focus, my figure, my sexuality. It's a brave lyric, uh, and you're not you're not saying you have answers. You're saying you have a lot of questions. What what inspired you to write this tune before we hear it?
4: I just like. I remember when I wrote "Trying," I was just like sitting on my living room floor, just feeling like my head was gonna explode. That's just exactly how I felt. So, just being a 24-year-old, I guess, inspired yeah. me to write that lyric. Just trying to figure life <laughs> out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Trying on sound opinions, great stuff. We are here in the studio with uh, guitarist vocalist Alicia Bognano, uh, Clayton Parker on guitar, Reese Lazarus on bass, and not the Stuart Copeland, but a better drummer, I think than the <laughs> You know, so earlier you mentioned uh, that you interned with a legendary audio engineer, Steve Albini, here at Electrical Audio here in Chicago. You know, I, Albini obviously has a wealth of knowledge. He's worked with artists like Nirvana and the Pixies and P.J. Harvey, Plant and Page. And he's led his own bands, Big Black, Shellac, among them. What are some useful things you learned, Alicia?
4: Pretty much I think that was probably my favorite that I learned was just being able to see bands come in and out and, like, make a record in not even seven days and just do it on tape and commit to it and then just be done with it mm-hmm. because a lot of times at other studios you just, it's just constantly being revisited and just forcing yourself to commit to something, I much prefer.
1: Well, yeah. I, th- I think people don't realize that it all for Albini comes from, oddly enough, the orchestral mindset. The Chicago Symphony Orchestra is performing tonight, 50 pieces or whatever. It's going to happen once, Mm -hmm. right? And we can capture this moment. And he wants the same of a rock band, right? Mm -hmm. Touring is so different than the studio. A lot of people don't cross that bridge. Albini's one who does, right? What do you prefer? Or can you not imagine not having both in your life?
4: I can't imagine not having both. I love them both. But for live performing, I don't ever want it to be recorded I want a live performance to just be a live performance if you're at a show like that happened and mm-hmm. it's done I don't have much interest of tracking those and seeing how they are I like both of them and I like them to be kept totally separate
1: So you're going to play another tune, I Remember, right? Yes. Now, this is a controversial song because people think it's a breakup song. It's a song about an ex. I've seen you complain about this, but you've actually said it's a love song.
4: Yes. It's like the Bully's first love song.
1: (laughs) An only one, right? Yeah,
4: an only one. Maybe the only one ever. I don't know.
1: (laughs) Do you think you wound up sharing too much on this?
4: No. I mean, no, I don't feel like I've shared too much. It feels good to sing it and just get it out there and not be ashamed of My wreck of a self.
1: Well, you're trying. I'm trying. As we said in the last song. (laughs) Trying to make less of a mess out of life. Yeah. Anyway, it's a great tune. I Remember by Bully on Sound Opinions. I Remember by Bully on Sound Opinions. Ferocious stuff. Talk about how the songs come together, Alicia, if you would. Do you bring them to the group? Do they come out of that dreaded word jamming? or?
4: Yeah, I usually sit down and I usually write two at a time. And sometimes I just keep one or sometimes I'll keep both. And I get a general idea of it and the lyrics and stuff. Sometimes I'll get the whole guitar lyrics figured out. Sometimes I'll get it worked out and just kind of the melody and then bring it to the band and have everyone play it and kind of tell them what I'm going for and Clay will play something and I'll say maybe more of this or maybe less of this Mm -hmm. and then we kind of work it out and then from there I'll decide if it's something I want to keep or not.
2: (laughs) ¶¶
1: Let's talk about the song, Bully, Alicia. I think it's an anthem, and it touches on the issue of feminism and how you're treated as a woman. One lyric in particular gets quoted by everybody. I'm not your water boy. I don't want to be on your team. What exactly did you mean by that?
4: I feel like I've had a ton of jobs since I was like 14 years old, and so many times I've been put in positions where I didn't know to stand up for myself and... Hmm. It can be frustrating and I still think of things that happened when I was 15 in hosting or someone talked to me the wrong way that I'm like god I really wish that I would have just said no that's not okay. Yeah. And I think that song is kind of like all those memories.
1: Well, uh, I think we got to hear bully. Cool. Alicia Boniano, not the Stuart Copeland, Reese Lazarus, and Clayton Parker. Thank you all for being our guests today. It was a pleasure.
4: Thank you. Thank Thanks you. for having yeah. us.
3: Thanks for having us.
0: Check out video from Bully's performance in our studio at soundopinions.org. Have an opinion on Bully or anything else in the music world? Share your thoughts on our hotline at 888-859-1800. Coming up next, we'll give our views on new releases from rising R&B star The Weeknd and Indie Darling's Yola Tango. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. Sound opinions. I'm Greg Cott with Jim DeRogatis, and that's The Weeknd with the song of the summer, Can't Feel My Face. It's from the new album Beauty Behind the Madness. The Weeknd's basically the solo outlet for a vocalist named Abel Tesfaye, Out of Canada. And he surfaced in March 2011. A lot of mystery around this artist because he was floating this music out there on the net for free. First hit with this mixtape House of Balloons in March of 2011. And then in subsequent months that year, we got another mixtape Thursday and then a follow up Echoes of Silence, which Tesfaye later said were considered of a piece, basically creating the same claustrophobic underground mood To create a buzz, basically, and uh, his mentor and friend, Drake, embraced him fully. He had a cameo on several Drake songs, and in 2012, that Drake cut, Crew Love, which featured The Weeknd, became a huge hit, and The Weeknd became a major star. He was signed to Universal Republic. The three mixtapes were bundled together as Trilogy. That went platinum, a million-selling record in 2012. Followed it up with Kissland, a much darker album, in 2013. And now we've got a move that expands them into the pop realm. We had a number one hit with the track Can't Feel My Face. That was the intro to this particular album. And now we've got the complete beauty behind The Madness. Here's a cut from it. It's called In the Night from the Weekend on Sound Opinions.
1: In the Night by The Weeknd, the third album by Abel Tesfaye. Abel has never made any bones about his three big influences. He's always cited Michael Jackson, Prince, and R. Kelly. A lot of people early on were very excited, including the two of us, about him being a leading voice in this Re-envisioning of R&B that included people like Frank Ocean, Miguel, Solange, F. K. Twigs, all kind of taking R&B in the direction that D'Angelo had started way back with Voodoo, somewhere darker, somewhere grittier, somewhere more real than the more polished R. Kelly sound that has dominated R&B really for the last two decades. Musically, the guy is undeniable. The thing is. In the moments on this album when he is channeling Michael Jackson, I really am excited by that. As much as I was excited about Justin Timberlake giving us a Michael Jackson reinterpretation, the mix of proud cockiness, sexuality, and vulnerability with killer melodies and very strong vocals on the Jackson leaning half of this album are undeniable. When he sings a line like, Only My Mother Could Love Me in My Dark Times, I mean, you really feel that this guy's kind of vulnerable. And there's a lot of talk about the kind of narco cloud of druggy indulgence yeah. over this album. Then there's the other half of this record. You know, I feel like I've been a moralist lately on Sound Opinions. You know, let me state, as a rock critic, I'm all in favor of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. I do not (laughs) like anyone being disrespected, though. There is way too much R. Kelly-style lewdness masquerading as sexiness and there's a difference you know what I mean you know we love Marvin Gaye we love Prince they get very raunchy they get very sexy many artists do some of those artists you know Frank Ocean okay I think he crosses the line too often. When he's channeling R. Kelly, I hate The weekend When he's channeling Michael Jackson, this is an extraordinarily powerful artist, and he is now selling out arenas of 25,000 seats, 22,000 seats. He's a force to be reckoned with. I just don't think I can get behind him 100%. So on the buy it, try it, trash
0: it scale, the best I can give it is a try it. Well, Jim, two things. Uh, the comment on the music, he has opened up his sound. I think that was a smart move on his part. I think with Kisland, you know, there was a sense of this dark claustrophobia absolutely closing out any sense of melody or choruses. The songs were kind of not there. On this record, the songs are definitely there. Yeah. It doesn't hurt that you're working with Max Martin. You know, a lot of guys make fun of Max Martin, you know, let's say because he's this pop guy. Well, guess what? This guy writes incredible Hooks. And the two biggest songs on this record, the two sexiest, hookiest songs on this record are the ones that Max Martin was involved in. You know, uh, I Can't Feel My Face. And that track we just played, In the Night, which I think is absolutely undeniable. The thing is, Max Martin didn't water this guy down. You know, normally it's like, oh, he's making his pop move. Well, this guy is still dark. And I think what you're commenting on is there's sexiness here or an attempt at sexiness, but there's an element of abusiveness about it. And that's what's troubling about Abel Tesfaye. But at the same time, I don't think he's celebrating any of this stuff. It's not like, look at the latest trophy on my wall. Look at the latest sexual conquest he is troubled by this stuff he is not a likable person on this record and he knows it i think he's basically commenting on the whole idea of choice and consequences and the real thing that stood out for me was uh, the line from one of the songs tell your friends which is one of the most despicable songs on the record if you're just kind of looking at it like woo, i don't like this guy he's saying i used to wander around the town when i was homeless now we got choices you know he's got money. Mm-hmm. What am I gonna do with this? With these choices, and he's making all the wrong choices. The second half of the album, you really start to see some empathy creep into what he's doing for the first time. A sense of uh, deeper self-awareness, like I am ruining lives, and not just my own, but this other person's. And at the end, in that last track, Angel, he says, "I hope you find somebody to love." Because he's basically saying, I'm not worthy of your love. I am not the person you want to be hanging out
1: with. Not when he addresses the object of his affections with the words that I can't even say on the radio so often uh, as he does. You know, and Greg, there is
0: this— He's an ugly character, and I think he's owning up to it. That's the thing about this record that I think makes it complex, difficult. But at the end of the day, you know, I find that a redemptive part of it, like that awareness that, yes, I am trouble— and I am abusive, and I need to do something about
1: it. Yeah, but words matter. He's going to be singing these songs, though, Greg, in front of twenty-two or 25,000 people at a time.
0: And I think what he's hoping is that those 22,000 people will think about what he's saying here in these songs, which is not an easy message. And he does it with this pop veneer. It's a troubling record, but it's well done. I think it's a buy-it record.
5: I don't care if Monday's blue Tuesday's gray and Wednesday too Thursday, I don't care about you. It's Friday, I'm in love. Monday, you can fall apart. Tuesday, Wednesday, break my heart. Thursday doesn't even start. It's Friday,
1: I'm in love. You're listening to Sound Opinions, and as unlikely as Miley Cyrus pairing with The Flaming Lips is Yola Tango covering Friday, I'm in love by The Cure but somehow it works. Yola Tango originally came together in my native Hoboken, New Jersey, a million years ago, 1984, around guitarist-vocalist Ira Kaplan and his wife, Drummer, vocalist, Georgia Hubley. Ira had famously been a rock critic. He hates to be reminded of that. Writing for New York Rocker and other New York area magazines, he had exquisite taste, Greg. And from the beginning, Yola Tango loved to play covers. They loved to find obscure songs by artists that they very much admire and uh, bring them to the stage, reimagine them. Only a few years into their career, in 1990, they made a record called Fake Book. They'd started out as kind of a rough-and-ready garage band. 1990, with Fakebook, they unplugged and made this kind of acoustic record that was half covers, the Kinks, the Flaming Groovies, Gene Clark, and half reimaginings of earlier, garage songs that they had done. Now... For album number 14, 25 years later, they have kind of gone back to the recipe of fake book. In this time, they have become darlings of now two generations of indie rock fans who know them primarily for full-on velvet underground garage noise rock assault, Sonic mm-hmm. Youth-style chaos, okay? And now they're unplugging again, and they're going back to that formula of half covers. And then they're also taking songs from their own catalog, something like a tune I've always loved, The Ballad of Red Buckets, and redoing them in acoustic mode. Dave Schram, who left after that 1990 fake book record, has come back to augment the core trio of Yola Tango. Now, Ira, Georgia, bassist James McNew, let's play a song from it and then we'll give our reviews. This is one of the covers by the Parliaments. I can feel the ice melting. The album is called mm-hmm. Stuff Like That. There, by Yola Tango.
5: You are so distant, you're so all alone. You possess a reputation for being cold. Oh, but lately, when I look at you, I see a trace of a smile. Oh, I know that I see a of interest for me. Trip. I Could feel the, the ice life. Melting in your eye Could almost feel the trip You always keep your feelings To yourself You never Distance is weakening, and pretty soon it will be My sweet baby, cause I Can feel the ice melting in your eyes
0: I can feel the ice melting from Yola Tango, the new record Stuff Like That There. Jim, as you mentioned, basically a covers record. This band is famous for filling its set lists with obscurities that you think, is that a original or is that something that they where, pulled where out of I their rare collection? Yeah. And inevitably what they're doing is drawing the attention of their audience back to stuff that they feel was unfairly overlooked from earlier eras and it's a it's a noble gesture you know i think back you know when, when when you're picking up a rolling stones record as a kid and you're seeing all these credits to people like Bo diddley and muddy waters and you're yeah. wondering well, who are those guys and that's how you found out about a lot <laughs> yeah. of these artists i mean yolatenko 's doing the same thing here for records they revere but they go really deep i mean that girl group song that darlena mccray song My Heart's Not In It, that track we just played by the Parliaments, you know, George Clinton's early version of what would become Parliament Funkadelic. When he was still cutting hair at the barbershop in New York.
1: You know, the song that I mentioned by Yola Tango, The Ballad of Red Buckets, Red Buckets was a really cool Velvet Underground-like indie rock band from Philadelphia in, like, 1982. Right. And Yola Tango wrote a song about this, and now they're covering their own song but making it acoustic. I mean, that's about as deep as deep
0: gets. Yeah, it's sort of like meta covers songs here, right? I also love the fact that they found Somebody's in Love by the Cosmic Rays, which is basically a Sunrod doo-wop type of song. (laughs) You know, like, who finds this kind of stuff? And and then paying tribute to some of their overlooked peers uh, or influences from earlier eras, you know, covering a song by Antietam or this uh, Hoboken, I guess it's a one-man artist, right, Special Pillow, and then uh, Great Plains from Ohio, you know, which had a heavy REM kind of influence in their sound. It's great stuff. There's, the only really obvious things on this record are are that. Covered by The Cure, which was done better by Dinosaur Jr., I gotta say. Oh, I don't you know. know. I, I think they do it pretty well, just because it's so unexpected. And then the cover of the Hank Williams song, I'm So Lonesome I Could Cry. The one thing about this record is that the songs do tend to sort of blur together a little bit. They're all coming from the same place. It's a very hushed, quiet record. I like Schramm's electric guitar, sort of a textural thing, but I wish there was a little more variety in it. And I would not say this is the place that a Yola Tango fan should start. I would go with any one. Of their '90s records over this one, it's a good, solid mid-tier Yola Tango record. I'm going to give it a try. <laughs> well, I give it a buy it. And it's hard for me to separate. I mean, I grew up with this band. Okay,
1: I saw their very first show, and I've seen a million shows since. Fakebook always meant something special to me. I-, I had just moved to Minneapolis. I didn't have a job yet. I hardly knew anybody there. This record came out, and it was like a letter from home. It was like a care package from mom. Yeah. And then they came on tour, and they stayed on my floor. I, I just love the acoustic Yola Tango. I, you know, I've been a critic of Yolo Tango, although I know them, because sometimes they it just gets too droney and too indulgent. But I think here uh, you see what they do best. The interplay between Georgia and Ira's vocals. You know, Georgia's such a sweet voice. You know, it's like Maureen Tucker, you Ooh. know, Redux, coming back, playing the drums and singing those angelic voices, because Ira's not much of a singer, but the way their voices come together. And I love Dave Schramm, to have him back in the fold, mm-hmm. playing the kind of pedal steel. I mean, he adds the Wilco element to it, if you will. you know. So I, I love this record. I, I don't think you can go wrong with it. It will surprise you if you've never heard the acoustic Yola tango. For me, it's a buy it. What do we have on the show next week?
0: Jim, the, the kids are going back to school. We're going to play some songs to celebrate going back to school. We have some thank yous to
1: say as always, Greg. Sound Opinions is produced by Jason Saldana, Robin Lynn, Evan Chung, and Alex Claiborne. He said
2: seven telephone won't you ring
1: on sound opinions everyone's a critic so give us a call on our hotline 888-859-1800 telephone. Ring-a-ling. Won't you
2: ring? new messages
3: Hello, this is Tony from Tampa, Florida. I just want to say thank you for giving the Isley Brothers their props, period. I grew up mainly with them in the 70s, and have followed them for the most part ever since. And they are just an amazing band that, to me, somehow still seems to be overlooked by many people. They just don't know their contribution and how vast it is. Thank you again.
6: Drifting on a memory Ain't no place I'd rather be Than with you Yeah Loving you Well, well, well
3: Hi, my name is Portia Lambert. I'm calling about the Ice Brothers songs. And one of the songs that's very meaningful for us, my husband and I, it's For the Love of You. We've been married for 40 years, and that was our wedding song. And we hear that song every year. So it is a song that has not gone away or died or anything, and it sounds like they just made it last year and truly enjoyed the story that you did on The Isley Brother with Ernest today. And we couldn't even get out the car to get in the house because we wanted to hear it all. Thank you for doing that. Goodbye. Darling, if you want me to
5: be closer to you, get closer to me.
3: Hello, my name is J.R. from Austin, Texas. I just heard the interview with Ernie Isley, and it was a wonderful interview. But how dare you call Seals and Crops a, quote, bland 70s pop band, end quote. Jimmy and Dash had one of the most beautiful, harmonizing music of all time. And I think it's really a disservice to refer to them in that manner. Anyway, I appreciate it, and I do appreciate and enjoy your show. Thank you very much. Bye. Hi, this is Jim from North Carolina. I just heard Ooh La La on Sound Opinions. And until this very moment in time, I never realized there was not Rod Stewart singing. And... My appreciation of Ron Wood went right through the roof. I never knew. But what a wonderful, wonderful song it is. What wonderful places it took me back to. I just wanted to say thank you.
5: Thorough, grandad, I laughed at
2: all his words. I thought he was a bitter man. He spoke of women's ways. The feud and the use, you
3: My name is Svante. I live in nowadays in Emeryville, outside of San Francisco. I grew up in Sweden. I used to go to England for these jazz and blues festivals. And July 29, either 66 or 67, at this festival at Windsor, the bands were getting later and later. You know, the city is threatening to turn off the electricity. Of course, nothing happens suddenly during the Faces or the Small Faces concert, suddenly they turn off the electricity, lights, everything goes out. But the funny thing is we could still hear the Small Faces singing and playing, even though there was only thing left was their voices and the drummer. And after maybe, I don't know, 30 seconds, a minute or something, maybe they called the Queen, the electricity came back on. And they could continue, but that's a memory of the faces that I will never forget. Goodbye, and thanks for a great program.
5: No more messages
0: to give us your opinions on sound opinions. Call our hotline 888 859 1800. We'll be back next week with more sound opinions produced by WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX.